all my unicorns, dragons, demons, and trolls. It's your girl, Dark Pegasus, here. I know I have not been posting a podcast um, as often as I should. I want to apologize for that. Uh, life happens, stuff happens. My kids are out of school now, and I have been working, and it's just been a big, big, big mess. Um, so, I decided that I wanted to kind of revamp our podcast here. Um, I know that I was doing reviews of movies and stuff that compared to when my kids were little to when I was little, you know, kind of thing. But unfortunately, I just, I didn't have enough stuff to review and I really didn't want to go out and try to spend money to buy these things to review them and I didn't want to use somebody else's review or try to view this stuff online. It just seemed like it would not necessarily be too much of my time, but it wouldn't be an honest review and I, I always go for honest reviews. Now, with that being said, I realized though that I have a massive amount of fiction books around my house um, that I absolutely love to read. Um, you can actually catch me reading books more often than I used to. And I only read fiction books. I'm not a big fan of biographies or nonfiction books. Um, for anybody that really doesn't know what the word nonfiction means, it means the books that are about real life that it's you know history books I don't mind those but it's like the stuff that's going on now or somebody telling a story about their life it's mm, I just I'm not into those books I love fiction books which is fantasy books uh, science fiction books you know stuff that is made up the stuff that comes out of the mind maybe based on something real but really just absolute fiction um, I am a massive gamer. If you have come and found my YouTube page or you found my Twitch uh, page, you know that I play a lot of video games. And right now, um, I've been playing Stardew Valley with my friend. Um, but I also play things like Toontown, World of Warcraft, stuff like that. And World of Warcraft has books, okay? They have lots of books. I'm not going to say they're all canon. Um, but uh, some are being retrofitted for story purposes and all that. That's a whole different story. But they have these books, and I absolutely love to read them. I have light novels that, because I'm a massive anime fan. I love, I love things that are anime, Japanese um, stuff. Not gonna lie, I have light novels. I, I read manga. Um, unfortunately, I can't read manga on this because manga is. Um, very similar to comic books so for me to read that I kind of need to be able to show you the pictures and this is a podcast so it's completely audio and instead of me going and trying to describe the scene to you I'm going to just read something that has a whole bunch of words your stereotypical light novel chapter book okay so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually make this more of an audiobook kind of thing where I'm just going to read the stuff out loud to you um, yes I am human so there are times when I'm going to stumble and I might read uh, something slightly wrong or off but um, that just lets you know that I'm real <laughs> I'm not this fake uh, professional going to read through the books like you know standard audiobooks now in the same note of that the reason why I decided to go this route is because my son brought home this really cute book um, it is a chapter book it's the first in its series and he looked at me and goes I don't want it I don't want to read it and I'm like son you've got to read so with that I can't really promote reading if I'm not gonna read more myself and just because I read doesn't mean he ever sees me read 
So I felt that maybe if I read the book out loud and even maybe had him listen to it, if he would understand it better. He is autistic and so there's a lot of different things that he does and does not want to do or things that he can comprehend more one way than the other way. So I felt that reading this book um, might help that. There's plenty of books that I have around here. So we're going to be going from, say, uh, like Harry Potter to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I even, and this is this is getting really in deep here, um, I plan on reading the Twilight series. I've never read it. I could not stand the hype behind all the movies and, and whatnot, but I thought maybe I would read the books to see if maybe there was something I was missing, and I at least say I read them once, you know what I mean? So that's where I'm going to be to in the next few months uh, we're going to do um, live readings and then because it's still a review channel I'm not gonna lie I'm not taking that part away we are going to review some of the chapters that we have previously read so if you want to skip to those episodes that's on you if you want kind of a cliff notes but you can message me on my Instagram, which is at darkpegasus, D-R-K-P-E-G-A-S-U-S, with recommendations for books, um, uh, predictions. You can also do that to my Twitter, the same handle, at D-R-K-P-E-G-S-U-S. Um, you can do even my dog's Instagram, okay? I, I love my dog to death, but, you know, there is that still instant message system there. So that would be... H-A-T-I underscore A-K-A underscore Mr. Woofles. So that's Hottie, A-K-A Mr. Woofles. Um, you will find him up there. Uh, and again, you can send me um, predictions. If perhaps you can't stream me on Twitch, stream me with my friend. Um, again, it's still at Dark Pegasus, D-R-K-P-E-G-S-U-S. You can even message me there if you see me live with uh, my friend to give me recommendations, predictions, um, and with that, I can screenshot them so I can save them for later, include them in my episode, uh, even, even make sure to like give you a shout out, mention you there. So with that being said, I just want to go ahead and get into this. Um, this book is called Longborough. I'm assuming Longborough is the series, but this particular one is called Podkin One Ear. So let's get into it, you guys. A bard for Bramble Miss. Crunch, 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 crunch. The sound of heavy footsteps charging through neap deep snow echoes through the night's silence. A thick white blanket covers the wide slopes of the band of hills known as the Razorback Downs. Moonlight dances over it, glinting here and there in drifts of sparkles, as if someone has sprinkled the whole scene with diamond dust. It is perfect, untouched except for one spidery line of tracks leading down from the hills toward the frosted woodland beneath. Crunch, crunch. Crunch, crunch, goes the footsteps of the track maker. He is hunched and weary, using all a tall staff to help him through the snow. He might have been an old man if it hadn't been many hundreds of moons since men trod these lands. Move closer, and instead you will see he's a rabbit, walking upright in the way that people once did, his ears hidden beneath the hood of his heavy leather cloak, fierce eyes peering out at the wintry midnight world. The thick fur on his face and arms is dyed with blue swirls and patterns, which marks him as a bard. A traveling, storytelling rabbit. A wonder with nothing on his back but a set of travel-worn clothes and a head stuffed full of tails and yarn. Old, new, broken, amended. Just about every story you've ever heard. And many more yet to be told. 
Don't worry about him being out in the cold on such a wintry night. His trade will see him welcome in any warren. This is the tradition and the law throughout the five rounds of Lanica, and woe betide anyone who doesn't keep it. Crunch, 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 crunch. His breath steams out behind him as he forces his way through the snow. Listen closely and you can hear him mumbling curses with each hard-fought step. Closer still, you can hear the strings of wind beads around his neck clinging and clacking, the bone trinkets and pouches around his belt knocking and niggling. He marches with a purpose as if he has some place to be and he is already late. But where is there for him to go? There is nothing but snow and trees from here all the way to the horizon. Until, of course, you remember he's a rabbit. Rabbits live underground, in warrens and burrows, warm and safe, out of the winter ice and frost. And that is indeed where he's headed. Enter the woods and through the trees until he stops before a pair of huge entrance doors set into the side of the little hill. Behind them is Thornwood Warren. And there had better be a warm welcome for him, or there will be serious trouble. Boom, boom, boom. He smacks the end of his staff against the oak and waits for an answer. Back when rabbits were small, twitchy, terrified things, warrens were little more than a collection of holes and tunnels in the ground. Now, in this new age, there are something different altogether. There are entire villages and cities built underneath the earth, completely out of sight. The bard knows that behind those wooden doors will be nest burrows and market burrows, workshops, temples, libraries, larders, pantries, and a dozen kitchens to feed them all. There'll be soldiers and healers, servants, cooks, smiths, weavers, tailors, potters, and painters. Old rabbits, young rabbits, poor rabbits, and noble rabbits. All walks of life hidden away in a cozy, torch-lit underground houses all arranged around every warren's hub. The long burrow, a great feasting hall with a huge fireplace, rows of tables, and nearly always music. Music, noise, and merriness. That is what rabbits love, especially tonight, for this is Bramblemas Eve, the night on which the winter solstice is celebrated, with a special feast and the promise of presents in the morning, left behind by the mysterious midwinter rabbit. And stories, of course, stories, special stories, told by a visiting bard. That is, if he ever got inside the place. Boom, 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 he smacks the door again and is about to do so a third time when he hears a muffled voice on the other side. All right, all right, keep your ears on, I'm coming. There are more words about stupid people being outside on this kind of night, but lucky the heavy wood absorbs most of those. Finally, the doors creak open, spilling golden torchlight onto the snow, and the face of a burly soldier rabbit pokes out. Who in the goddess name are you? He says, glaring at the stranger. Underneath the hood, pale green eyes glare back. Is that any way to treat a bard come to tell tales on the eve of Bramblemas? Is that how the old ways are kept here at Thornwood? Even though the soldier rabbit is the size of a small armor-clad mountain, something about the bard makes him tremble a little. Sorry, sir, he says, and pushes the door open farther with his shoulder. Come in and share our hearth on this middle winter night. Mid-winter, turnip head, corrects the bard, stepping into the torchlight in the warmth. The worn door closes behind him, and he shakes the snow from his cloak with a shudder. Now... Which way to the fireside, and he strides off down the paved entrance hall as if he has been here a hundred times before. What's a midwinter turnip head? mumbles the puzzled guard before turning to trot after him. Just as every warren is carefully built around the long burrow at its center, the rabbits inside are organized around their chieftain. 
He is the leader of the tribe, just as his father was before him, and his son will be after. All the warring decisions are made between him and his wife. All the arguments settled, and all the feasts and festivals organized. In Thornwood, the chieftain is Hubert the Broad, a great, big-bellied lop rabbit, with brown and white patched fur, ears down to his knees, and a stomach you could build a house on. He is currently sitting on his throne in a place of honor at the feasting table, a bramble crown on his head, and his great piebald stomach bursting the seams of his tunic. He is singing a merry song about the midwinter rabbit getting stuck in his burrow, while all the little rabbits sit laughing at his feet. When he sees the bard enter, he stops, stands, and raises his drinking horn in salute. "'Welcome, bard!' he shouts in a voice that shakes earth from the ceiling. "'Welcome, on Bramble Miss Eve!' "'That's more like it,' mutters the bard, shrugging off his cloak, leather cloak. He keeps his hood on, but the light from the fire still shows off the swirls and whorls of blue patterns dyed into the fur on his bare arms. "'We thought you weren't coming,' says Hubert. But Bramble Miss Eve is full of surprises.' Will you sing for your supper? The bard chuckles. My voice is too old and cracked for singing. He takes a seat by the fireside and warms his hands. But I might be persuaded to tell a tale or two. Bring this man some food. Quick, sharp! Hubert shouts, flicking his ears at his cupbearers. They scurry off and return moments later with a bowl of buttery turnip soup and a platter of cornbread. The bard tucks into it like a rabbit starved, and finishing it, wipes his mouth with the back of his paw. I suppose that deserves a tale, he says. What would you like to hear? The little rabbits swarm to his feet and all crying out at once. Bow Bunny, the fisher rabbit, Podkin One Ear. Did I hear someone mention Podkin One Ear? says the bard, settling further into his chair. Podkin the Horn King? The Moon Strider? Podkin of the Magic Knife? When the little ones nod their heads and shriek with excitement, his fo he folds his painted arms and tugs at his beard. I do know some of the tales of that one, but they will be different from the ones you've heard. Nothing about shooting fire from his eyes or wrestling giant rabbits with bare hands. Nothing like that at all. What kind of tales, Bard? Why are they different? Why would, why won't there be fiery eyes and giants? They're different, he says, because they are true. And because fire eyes don't exist anywhere except in fairy tales and as the heads of silly young rabbits. The bard waves a hand for silence, and then he begins. The Worst Bramble Miss Ever The Gorm. First, you need to know about them. Nowadays, thank the goddess, they are nothing but a bad memory. Something to scare the little ones with at night. But back when your grandparents were young, rabbits lived in constant fear of the strange riders, of the screeching of metal in the night, and the echoing of their terrifying war horns. The Gorm. Nobody knows exactly how they came to exist, only that they were first seen in a little warren called Sandywell, up in northern Enderby, where the Red River meets the sea. A meek little tribe of rabbits lived there, gray-furred sable bunnies who liked fishing, sailing, and building boats. They never caused any trouble, and nobody paid them much attention, until one day everything changed. Some say there was something in the river that got into their veins. Some say they tunneled too far down and came across something cursed or poisonous. Others say it was the work of witches. Whatever the reason, they stopped being the sandy will graze overnight and turned into something else, something evil and unnatural. First, the warren changed, just a little at first, until eventually great spikes of jutty metal burst out of it, sticking up into the air like poison porcupine quills, 
and they lay and the land around became blackened and scorched. The waters of the Red River turned dark and noxious as they ran past. Animals who lived in the woods and waters either died or became warped and ruined. Folks started calling the Warrens Splinterholm and stayed well away, but that didn't help them. Next, the old Sandywell rabbits reappeared, except now you wouldn't have recognized them. They were clad head to foot in iron armor. Iron, that metal that rabbits find impossible to work with, and poisonous to the goddess. The Sandywell rabbits had not only shaped and molded it, they had bonded with it somehow. It seemed as though the metal had fused and pierced their very skin. It ran through their veins and bled into their eyes, turning them blank with and rusty red. The rabbits used the metal to bend and shape the creatures around them as well. The dumb giant rabbits that all rabbits use as beasts of burden, and the black crows of the nearby woods, they changed them into shrieking flocks of rusted mellow harpies. When they rode out of Splinterholm, they came to devour and destroy, and they were called the Gorm by all who feared them. If they showed up at your warren, then that was the end of you. They would kill your chieftain and his sons. They would rip your warriors into shreds. They, Then they would carry half of you off to be changed into goddess knows what. The rest would spend their miserable lives making food and supplies to feed their new masters, never knowing when they too would be dragged away wailing in the night. It was a dark time for all rabbit kind, is what I'm saying. It was in those days that Podkin one year lived. He wasn't a hero back then. He hadn't slain any giant rabbits or formed any robber bands, and he hadn't even begun to think about rescuing maidens. In fact, he was only a youngling, eight summers old. Oh, and he still had both his ears. Podkin was the son of Lopkin, chieftain of the Munbury Warren, which meant that someday he himself would be chieftain, just like his father's father had been, and his father, all the way back to when the goddess first made the twelve tribes. For now, all that seemed a long way off, and that was the way Podkin liked it. Podkin had an older sister called Paz, who liked to boss him around as much as possible, and a young kitten of a brother called Pook, who didn't do much except chew things and ask for soup. You might think that as a young rabbit, Podkin was already showing signs of heroism. Great skill with a sword, maybe? Bravery, courage, wisdom, determination. You'd be wrong. If anything, he was perhaps the laziest, most spoiled son of a chieftain in the whole five realms. At least he was until the start of the story. His father tried his best to prepare him for leadership with lessons in history, rabbit lore, and soldiering. But Podkin took great delight in avoiding them all. Daydreaming and snoozing were the only things he practiced, and to be fair, he was very good at them. He was the despair of all his tutors, especially poor Melfrey, the weapons master who resigned three times or more from the task of teaching Podkin. The young rabbit simply had no interest in doing what was expected of him, so it came to pass that on a bramble eve, much like this one, Podkin one ear, although technically two ears at this point, was sitting upstairs in the wooden gallery that ran around the edge of the Munbury Longborough. He was lazily pushing around a toy wagon, munching on a stolen piece of cornbread, and daydreaming about the midwinter rabbit who'd be visiting that night, hopefully with a sack full of presents. Would he get the wooden soldier he asked for, or the toy sword and shield, or would it be the disappointment of a badly knitted woolen tunic like last year? What are you doing up here, Pod? His sister had tiptoed up the stairs and was now glaring at him. 
Podkin's little brother Pook was nestled in the crook of her arm, chewing away at a carrot. Mother sent me to get you. They're about to have turnip soup and dance the bramble reel. You should be there, seeing as you're next in line to be chief. Paz took it hard that she was never going to be the lead, uh, going to lead the warrant, even though she was the eldest. But it was tradition, fair or not, that the first son took over. Podkin yawned deliberately. The bramble reel. How exciting. He took Pook from her and tickled his tummy. He could hear all the festivities in the hall below and had absolutely no desire to join in with him. Please stand aside so I can rush down the stairs and prance about like a prized fool. If you don't come down, you're going to be in trouble, said Paz. Do you have any idea what it takes to be chieftain? Nobody will want to follow a lord who spends all his day time tickling his baby brother, playing with his toys, and hiding away in corners daydreaming. Podkin huffed and flicked his ears at his sister. You're just jealous because you think you'd make a better chieftain than me. Well, I would, wouldn't I? Anyone can see that. Paz started ticking off a list on her fingers. I'm the eldest. I do what father and mother tell me. I go to all my lessons instead of hiding in the meadow and picking daisies like a rat-brained fairy flump. If there was any justice, girls would be allowed to become chiefs instead of brats like you who don't deserve it. Podkin was about to leap on Paz and pull her ears when the warren horn began to sound. The three young rabbits rushed to the edge of the gallery and looked down onto the hall. Soldiers were grabbing spears and shields. Children were being herded into the corners, and their father, Chief Lopkin, was striding toward the borough entrance, drawing his sword. His great silver broadsword that everyone thought was magical. Me went to wabbit? Me went to wabbit? Pook shouted, trying to wriggle free. It's not the midwinter rabbit, Pook, said Podkin, and the argument would pass forgotten. It looks like trouble, and trouble doesn't leave presents outside your burrow at night. Frightened murmurs were drifting up from the crowd below. A rider! A lone rider coming! And then, a rider wearing armor! Iron armor! And finally, it's the Gorm! The Gorm are here! The last shout caused mass panic. Podkin could see his father yelling, but his voice was swelled up by the hubbub. The Warren was terrified, losing its head. This was the time it really needed its chieftain, somebody to lead them all. Pod watched Lopkin breathe deeply. Then below, in his great commanding voice, Silence! The whole Longborough instantly froze, hundreds of scared eyes turning to Lopkin, who stood among them. His magic silver sword flashing, he let the silence stand for a moment before speaking in a calm, speaking in as calm a voice as he could. A rider approaches true, a gorm true, but it is a lone rider and he carries the white flag of peace. We will let him in. We will let him enter and see what he has to say. The sound of the heavy oak entrance doors opening echoed down the warren. The rabbits in the long row pressed back against the walls. Spears were raised. Breath was held. Something was making its way along the entrance wall. Will it be okay, Paz? whispered Podkin, who has always been in awe of his tall, powerful father. Chief Lopkin had always seemed invincible, at least until now. I don't know, Pod, Paz replied. Father has his sword. The look in her eyes was enough to make Podkin truly afraid for the first time in his short life. Chief Lopkin called out the traditional greeting to the darkness of the tunnel. Enter, stranger, and be welcomed on this Bramble Massive. Clank. Screech. Grinding metal followed by the clump of a heavy leather boots. It seemed the rider had dismounted whatever he had been, ca whatever had been carrying him as 
is now coming down the entrance tunnel on foot. 150 terrified rabbits all held their breath. Clank, screech, Pook began to whimper. They could now see something moving in the darkness of the tunnel. Torchlight from the great hall caught on metal and bounced back in orange glints. Enter, Lobkin called out and again. We mean you no harm. With a, finding grinding, with a final grinding squeal, the figure emerged and leaped from the tunnel to land in the center of the warrior circle. The rabbits had all heard terrifying tales of the Gorm, but none had done the real thing justice. This wasn't a rabbit anymore, if it had ever been. It was now something entirely else. A walking slab of metal and meat pierced through with rusty thorns and nails. Its armor overlapped in sheets of jagged, dented iron mottled with rust and splashes of dried crimson that looked very much like old blood. Its head was completely covered by a helm dotted all over with cruel, shard-like spikes and curved metal horns that almost scraped the ceiling from the shadowy eye splits. From the shadowy eye slits, two dim scarlet pupils glowed, blank and streaked with rusty red veins. Podkin was so scared he wanted to cry. Worst of all was the thing's jagged black iron sword. That and the skulls that hung from its belt, rabbit skulls, painted all over with evil-looking runes, skulls of all sizes, including ones that look like children's. The Gorm rabbit turned his head to and fro, taking in the warren's inhabitants, before resting his gaze on Lopkin. I don't want your welcome, the deep voice echoed inside the iron shell. A cold, iron killer's voice. I came to tell you I'm taking your warren. That and your magic sword. Instantly, every spear was raised and pointed at the armor intruder. The Gorm tilted his head slightly as if curious and leaned over to thump his sword three times on the floor. There was a rumbling deep below the ground. The whole floor of the long burrow began to shake, and then parts of it started to crack and crumble. The Munbury rabbits backed against the walls as piles of mud burst upwards, shattering the tiled floors and overturning benches and tables. From beneath the ground, armored Gorm began to clamber out of, of into their mist pushing their way up through the soil, spilling torrents of mud from their spiked iron shoulders. As the Munbury rabbits stared on in mute horror, five, ten, fifteen of them and more, each one cl clad head to foot in jagged, rusted armor and wielding an axe or sword. This warren is ours now, said the first Gorm, his, first, his voice like the metallic screeching of his armor, and we will kill anyone who thinks otherwise. So says the chief of all of the Gorm. Scramashank, said Chief Lopkin. The Gorm's lord's name was well known among rabbits and well feared. Lopkin raised his silver sword and stepped into battle stance. Scramashank, leave my people out of this. We will settle this between the two of us. They aren't your people anymore, Scramashank. Ooh, picture they have on the next page. Scramashank laughed. As if there was some elaborate bramble misjoke. They are the Gorm now, or they will be, once you are dead. In a flash of iron, Scramishink swung his sword over his head and down, trying to cleave Lapkin in half. The chieftain raised his silver sword just in time, and there was an almighty clang as the blades clashed, showering sparks about the f hall. Father! Podkin and Paz both screamed out at the same time. Pook began to bawl and wail. They had a brief glimpse of Lobkin 
gazing up at them, Scramishank raising his arm for another blow, and then they were pulled back away from the gallery rail. All three rabbits shrieked, expecting to see a gorm standing behind them, but instead it was their auntie Alwyn. Tears had dampened the fur around her eyes, but her jaw was set and fierce. Come with me, you three. She pulled them toward the stairs. But Father Podkin began, don't think about him. He has to def he has to fend for himself. She was dragging them down the stairway. You have to leave with me now before the gorm come for you, too. She was too strong to resist, and even as the sound and shouts and clanging, clashing metal began to echo up from the long burrow, the little rabbits ran with their aunt through the Munbury tunnels. Twisting this way and that, they soon ended up at their parents' bedchamber. In here, whispered Auntie Alwyn, shoving them inside and barring the door behind them. She ran straight to the bed and began rummaging around underneath. What are you doing, Auntie? We have to go back. We have to help Father. There's no helping him now. He'll soon be in the land beyond. Gotta save him. She added under her breath. She stood up, holding something long and thin, wrapped in cloth. She thrust it into Podkin's hands. Your father told me to give you this should anything ever happen to him, and your mother told me to bring you here if your warren should ever fall. To the bedroom? Paz looked at her aunt as if she had suddenly gone mad. Podkin was peeking under the cloth bindings. They hid a badden old copper dagger, dull and blunt, with a crude face carved on the pommel. There was a secret tunnel here Alwyn pulled on the bedpost, and the little door slowly opened in the wall. She gave each of the children a quick kiss on the forehead. Go now, she said. Get out of the tunnel and run as fast as you can. Get to Redwater Warren and ask for help there. Don't even think of coming back here. Not ever. But what about you? What about Mother? Podkin asked. Don't worry about us. We'll be all right. And if not, we'll see you in the land beyond. Remember, children, your parents love you. They love you so very much. With that, she bundled them into the tunnel. And then before they could do anything about it, she shut the door behind them and locked it tight. Oh my gosh. Starclaw. Starclaw. I don't need to go into detail about that awful flight out of the dark tunnel, about how the three of them sobbed and wailed their way to the surface and out into the snowy woods, or about how they ran through the rest of that dark, blizzard-choked night, terrified that every shadow hid an enemy, that every second could be their last on this miserable earth. You don't need to know how many times they thought about going back or trying somehow to save their mother or their aunt or their friends, or how often each one of them stumbled to the ground, overcome a grief, until the other pulled them up and onward again. That terrible night can only really be remembered by those po two poor little rabbits. Thankfully, Pook was too young to know what was going on beyond being cold, hungry, and away from his mother. And neither of them will ever speak of it again, not even to each other. All you need to know is that the sky began to lighten in the east. The young rabbit staggered into a clearing and finally rested against the trunk of an old frost-covered oak. Where do you think we are? stammered Podkin. Are we anywhere near Redwater? How am I supposed to know? said Paz. Pook was nestled inside her tunic, the only one feeling slightly warm. I was lost five minutes after we came out of the tunnel. Maybe if you'd paid attention in our geography lessons. You were paying attention for me, and you don't know where we are either. So that lesson was a big, fat waste of both our time, weren't they? Neither of them spoke for several minutes. They knew how serious it was to be lost in the woods in this weather. The cold was deadly, and there were hungry wolves and bears around, not to mention the gorm. I think we should begin, Paz, but she was interrupted by an explosion of fluttering overhead. A large bird flapped its way up through the falling snow and away over the trees. 
Just a crow, she said, relieved. I thought it might be, you know. Not just a crow, Podkin whispered. It was one of them, didn't you see? It had metal spikes bursting through its skin and its eyes. Its eyes were like theirs. You're imagining things, Pod. After what happened, your mind isn't working properly. It is. I saw it. A crow? How can a crow be like them? Don't you remember Father saying? Podkin was crying again now. Big fat tears that splashed down to mud holes in the snow. They changed things, things like crows and rats. They turned them into their servants. The crow spotted us, and it'll tell them where we are. Pasta wasn't convinced, but they had to keep moving, hoping all the time that they would see something to give them a clue as to where they were. If only everything wasn't covered in so much cursed snow. Pass shifted the sleeping lump that was Pook inside her tunic and started to move off again, only to notice Podkin wasn't following. He had his nose stuck in the cloth-wrapped bundle that Auntie Alwyn had given him. Come on, Podkin, we have to get moving. But Podkin wasn't budging. Wait a minute, Paz, there's something here. Podkin hadn't paid much attention to the dagger all night. In fact, he had been using it as a walking stick to help pull himself through the snow, and he'd half forgotten he had it at all. But now that there was some dawn light, he was curious as to why it was so special. And a quick peek had revealed a piece of parchment wrapped around the blade. He pulled it out. It's a message. He handed it to Paz. Here, you look. I can't read Agahim. As I'm sure you'll know, Agahim is an ancient written language and was designed for simple marking of post trees and standing stones. Podkin had always been too lazy to learn, much like everything else, although now he sorely regretted it. Paz started, stared at the parchment for a few seconds her breath steaming around her head in a cloud as she gasped. It's a letter from Mother. My darlings, if you're reading this, then our worst nightmares have come true, and the Gorm have come to Munbury. Thank the goddess that you have escaped. This dagger you are holding is our Warren's greatest treasure, the magical dagger known as Starclaw. Your father lets everyone think that it, his silver broadsword is the magic weapon, but it has always been the simple copper knife. It is one of the twelve gifts given to the first tribes back at the start of time. It may not look special, but it has the power to cut through anything. Anything that is except iron. We know the Gorm were hunting the twelve gifts for some evil reason, so this dagger must be kept from them at all cost. That is now your job. Run fast, my darlings, and run far. Your father and I love you more than you will ever know. Mother. If Paz hadn't already cried out every last tear in her body, she would have started sobbing again. Instead, she stood, numb, both inside and out, staring at the copper dagger in Podkin's hands. All Podkin can think to say was, What use is a magic dagger that doesn't cut iron against a bunch of iron-armored warriors? What were you thinking of doing with it, genius? Storming back and chopping the gorm to bits? Podkin shrugged. It is a magic weapon. But we're not heroes out of some story. We're just children. Podkin stared at the dagger again, a useless hunk of metal and yet so precious to the Gorm that his father had to die for it. He was so upset and confused he felt like flinging away into the snow. Only his mother's plea stopped him. Would he ever see her again? He tried to think of the last words she had said to him, the last time he had hugged her, but he couldn't remember. He suddenly It suddenly seemed so important, but his mind was frozen blank. Run fast, my darlings, run far. That would have to do instead. He would hold on he he would keep hold of the dagger for her sake. He rolled it and the parchment back into the blanket and looked up at his sister. Well, 
What shall we do? We don't even know where we are. Red water is northeast. The sun is rising in the east. We head that way. Podkin didn't feel as if he could go another step, let alone run all the way to red water. He was about to argue some more when he thought he heard a noise in the distant woods. The rabbits pricked their ears, listening for something in the heavy silence of the falling snow. And among the muffled forest noises and Pook's wheezy little snores, they heard it again, a sound that made their blood run cold. Well, colder, it was almost frozen. Somewhere far beyond them, but growing louder, very quickly, was the echoing wail of a strange horn. And behind that was another quieter sound, the clanking, scraping of iron against iron. Timber. If there was one thing rabbits are good at, it's running away. It goes back to the days when we were tiny, tasty bundles of fluff at the top of everyone's menu, and afraid of our own shadows, the slightest hint of danger, and we'd be scurrying for shelter before we became breakfast for something with sharp teeth and an appetite. Podkin and Paz had already done their fair share of running that long, cold night. Their muscles were torn and aching, their fur matted with clods of frozen snow. Paz's arms were weary from carrying Pook, even though he was only a little bundle. The best they could manage was a kind of panicky stumble through the trees and away from the sounds of oncoming gorm. Those terrible, retching sounds that were getting close by the heartbeat. Paz hoisted Pook further with a grunt, ignoring his little squeal of protest. We need to run faster, Podkin. I'm going as fast as I can, Podkin managed to say. If Podkin had had the energy, he would have grumbled some more, but it was all he could do to keep moving. They struggled on, wading through the snow until they found themselves facing a wall of earth and tree roots. There were banks on either side of them, too. In their panic, they had dashed into a cranny, a scooped-out section of the forest floor, hidden beneath the swaths of drifted snow. From the trees behind them, they could came the screeching of jagged metal armor. The gorm were close now, minutes away, seconds even. Podkin stared around, eyes wide with terror. We're dead, he whispered, his voice harsh and strangled. There's no way out. They're going to kill us, just like they did father. Shut up, you're scaring Pook. Paz pulled her tunic tighter around the baby rabbit, who was starting to squeak with fear. Well, what else is going to happen? How can we get away? Paz stood still for a moment. Her brain was whizzing, trying to come up with an idea that would save them. She was good under pressure, but there had never been pressure quite like this before. It did say the dagger could cut through anything except iron, didn't it? She said. Podkin nodded. Right. It wasn't much of an idea, but it would have to do. She grabbed Podkin and whispered into his ear. Half a minute later, after a desperate scramble up the cranny side, Podkin stood hidden behind a tree. With shivering paws, he unwrapped the cloth bundle and drew out the copper dagger. It would have been co It should have been cold, as icy as the snow around him. But instead, the hilt was hot, tingling almost. Could that be the magic? Could it really cut through anything? It certainly felt powerful. Not like the wooden practice swords he had used in his boring weapon lessons. Podkin switched it through the air a few times. Just a dagger. But to him, it was more of a short sword, although he didn't feel he was much of a soldier. Certainly nothing like his father, facing the Gormlord all on his own. Father... Was he looking down on them now from the land beyond, or wherever he might be? Would he try to help them somehow? Or would he only be able to watch them die? Now is not the time for this, Podkin told himself. They had a plan. He had a job to do.
Below, covered cowered paths out in plain sight backed against the bank of tree roots. She was clutching Pook to her chest and looking suitably terrified. Bait for her hastily attempted assembled trap. From his hiding place, Podkin could hear the gorm riding through the forest on their mounts. They were heavy, lumbering things, smashing against saplings and branches, and plowing the snow aside with brute force. He could hear the tortured creatures breathing and growling. He could hear the slow grinding of armored plates sliding against one another. Pod held the dagger hilt close to his face, gave a small prayer to the goddess. Should he do it now? No, he told himself. Better to have a peek first. The timing must be right. Podkin never wanted to see another gorm in his life, but he forced himself to peer around the tree trunk. There were two of them, riders sitting on top of things that might once have been giant rats. Rats were normally docile, fluffy, stupid creatures that spent most of their time eating and squeaking. Those looked as though they had been forged from shards of rusted iron pounded together in the blacksmiths of hell. They were covered all over with plates of jagged metal, studded with spikes and hooks, and scrawled on in blood-red ruins. At the front, where their heads should have been, were fanged, drooling mouths, and glaring out from the holes in the armor were blank, rust-red eyes. They weren't rats anymore. Every part of them, down to their bones, had been changed and twisted. These things were now beasts. Iron beast Monsters. They clanged and shrieked their way along the little track of footprints that passed left, the riders leaning forward on their backs, gnashing their teeth with hunger. They looked as if they had grown out of their mount spines or been fused together into some new horrible form of life. A voice came then, sharp and loud. It sounded like sheets of tin being ripped into shreds. You, girl, where is your brother? Where is the chieftain's son? Podkin heard Paz say something, but it was too weak and stuttering to make out. Could it be that she was terrified speechless, or was she just luring the Gorm riders in? That was sort of a clever trick she would try. Podkin remembered all the wily things she would do to taunt and tease him back in the warren. Nasty names and embarrassing pranks. He used to hate her sneaky cleverness, then. But now, he suddenly thanked the goddess for it. Speak up, you little runt. The rider's voice sounded very close to Podkin. With small, silent steps, he edged around the tree trunk. The two riders were right below him now. He could see the little pits of scratches on their surface of their armor. He could smell the hot iron stink of their steamy breath. Now! Do it now! He remembered being shown how to chop down a tree back when his father was trying to teach him to do chores. He hadn't really listened because why should a chieftain's son have to do hard work? Now, he really wished he'd paid more attention. Something about cutting out a wedge. He almost had to shout at his frozen, terrified body to make it respond. Tearing his eyes away from the gorm, he set the edge of the dagger against the tree trunk. The blade was blunt, tarnished copper, marked with notches and dents. It made him doubt the magic. There was no way it would even make a mark on the wood, let alone cut through it. Why had he listened to Paz's stupid idea? Podkin held his breath, teeth gritted. If the riders looked up and saw him now, it was all over. He had to get this done, and quickly. He moved the blade up the trunk and angled it downward. Holding his breath, he pushed into the bark. He half expected nothing to happen. So when something did, he was shocked dumb. The dagger slid through the hundred-year-old oak, as if it was butter. Podkin only just managed to stop before it came out the other side. Now, the upward cut. Quick! 
Podkin pulled the dagger and made another cut from the bottom up. A thick triangle of wood dropped out of the and thudded into the snowy ground. Down below, the riders were slinking forward. Paz was still stammering something about losing her brother in the snow, and then came a loud groaning sound that made Podkin's ears judder. It took a moment for him to realize it was coming from the oak tree. As it began to topple forward, slowly at first, but picking up speed, cracking and snapping branches as it fell, Pod saw the Gorm riders look up, surprised clouds of breath gushing from behind their iron masks, and then the tree hit them with an explosion of snow crystals, and a roar that echoed through the forest. It took several minutes for the snow clouds to settle, and for the echoes to bounce away into silence. When all was quiet again, Pod peered down into the cranny and saw the great oak tree snapped in half, blocking the whole thing. Snow crust laid crumbled and piled around it. Of the riders, nothing could be seen except a twisted shard of armor and a splash of rusted crimson blood on the snow. Okay, all my unicorns, dragons, demons, and trolls, that's where we're going to take a break. And in our next episode, we are going to review what we have already read. If you have gotten to this point and you still want to hear more definitely come back and we're going to make our predictions and, and um, try to see where the story is going to go a little further as well as review what we've already read so that will be our next episode make sure you like comment subscribe follow all that happy jazz and i will see you guys in a couple of days with some more of our story longborough podkin one ear enjoy the rest of your day bye